0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and
0: Jeremy Dunn. They will be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You are encouraged to call in and share your life experiences with us. The
1: number to call is 347 215 9442 That number again 347-215 9442
0: Are you ready for your dose of hope? You're listening to Pause IM Radio
2: Everyone and welcome to Pause I am Radio. I'm your host Robert Brining. This evening my lovely co host Jeremy Dunn is joining me. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, hello. I feel great today. You do? Why? Are I don't drunk? know, I'm just in a good mood. Are you drunk? No. I'm that's having crazy. a beer right now, but I'm not drunk. You drinking. are
3: having a beer. Very nice. I'm i <laughs> I'm doing you know, I I'm, I'm doing sober sober January. Well that's good. Yes, yes, because I'm trying to lose some weight, because I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to Cancun in, at the end of February, and I'm so excited.
4: Yay! Oh, nice. Yeah. It's going to be What are you going there for?
3: Well, there's a wedding that Louie and I are going to, but um, we decided to make a little bit of a mini-vacation out of it, so we're going to go down, we're going to spend a few days, and in the... Mexican Riviera and uh throw our feet up and splash around in the ocean a little bit, get some massages and some facials and, and 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 that's why I'm doing sober January so I can lose a little weight and uh get in shape so that when I take my shirt off and decide to go lay by the pool, um no one will think that I'm a beached whale and children will push me back
0: into the water. <laughs>
3: Well, I don't think people will think that. Oh, oh no, it could. It, it really could happen. I, and then PETA would be called and, and you know, people would be calling. And and then I'm going to be on the news because, you know, there's a beached whale sitting out there and, and they're going to try to throw water on me and, you know, shove sardines down my throat or something. So, be good. so how are you? So why are you in a good mood?
2: What's going on? Nothing. I'm just. I'm just in a in a good place right now. You know. It just feels. I don't know. I'm just. I don't know. I'm just happy. So things are happy. I'm happy. 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 Oh. Joy. Joy.
3: So snap out of that.
2: I can't have you. Right. Happy. You can't be happy. So no, I'm happy I. I went, right. I wanted to talk about a few things before we bring our our guest Josh on um, in a little bit. Um, one of the things that you know we're big here at pa- on, on Bam about social media and using it to reach people living with HIV and. One of the things I kind of wanted to uh, bring up to everyone's attention is that there's a a campaign right now going on um, through our friend Kevin Maloney, and it's basically uh, how it works is, I'm not sure if they changed it, but there used to be a sign that you had to print out, um, and it was called, um, on the sign it said, no shame about being HIV positive. Um, Today I sent him a photo and he added it and created an image with it, which I think he's doing now. Um, so if people want to check that out, go to um, Facebook and um, Google search Rise Up to HIV, all one word, um, and it'll come up and you can actually submit a photo and, and have it be a part of the, uh, the the campaign if you have no shame in being HIV positive. So I'm going to put the link in the chat room so people have that here um, and they can check it out.
3: That's very cool.
2: Yeah, you should send in a photo and have and participate, Jeremy, because they put like um on the photo that I just linked they have in there and it says, you know, host a pause radio so they can do that and everything and add that up for you too. So it would look kinda cool.
3: That would be cool. Well I'm smoking an electronic cigarette.
0: Yeah, how's that?
3: You know, it's very it
0: it's smooth.
3: It it I, I don't know if it's healthier for you, but it's certainly I, I can smoke in my house and, and there's no smoke. There's no ash. There's no tar. There's no smell.
0: Right.
3: You know. Yeah. When I, you, I use them. When you, at, it. at the end. Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. When you take a drag, it lights up at the end. It's like a real.
2: Thing. Yeah, I I had them for a while. They they, they work, but they ate no cigarette. Yeah, but then <laughs> you don't smell like an ashtray. That is true. That is true, because you know what, I I smoke and I, you know, I'm like, oh, whatever, people bitch about how it smells, but when I'm at work and I'm not, you know, I'm there for seven hours, and the whole seven hours I'm not smoking, so I don't have that cigarette smell around me, and when somebody comes in up to the counter and orders a drink, and I can just smell, it's really bad.
3: Yeah, they stink. You you stink, Robert, is what I'm getting at. Thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, I can smell you from here, and you're only two hours away.
2: <laughs> you stink. So, um, yeah, that was um one of the things I wanted to talk about, that campaign. And then I think there was something else that um I wanted to talk about, but I forget. Uh, one of the things that hit the headlines I saw over the past um, week, actually, I think a lot of it came out in the last two, yeah, about Friday, um, this came out, uh, there was an article that was written, written. I'm going to put a link to it in
3: the website. Do you watch Honey Boo Boo? Um, no. Okay. I I've not. only watched one episode. Is
4: it, are you familiar with it?
3: I I am, and it, I okay. have to tell you, it is trash. The people on that show are trash, and uh, quite honestly, um, I don't I don't think they understand that everybody's laughing at them and not with them because. They are a complete mockery of of Americans today. And I'm sorry, but that little girl needs to go on a fucking diet.
2: (laughs) Well, let me get to the point of why I brought up Honey Boo Boo. It wasn't so we could bash them. Um, um, Just uh, recently, uh, there's a a character or a a person on the show called Uncle Poodle. (laughs) Um, And uh, his name is Lee Thompson, actually. And in 2012, he was diagnosed HIV positive, and he just kind of, it just kind of came out public that he was speaking about his status. Um, and one of the things that really hit a nerve with some people who are HIV positive already is that he found out that he got it from his ex-partner, and he ended up, I guess, pressing charges against him, and his partner got five years in, in prison for um, not disclosing. So, in um, on one hand, you know, I, I want to be great that he is using the platform of Honey Boo Boo to come out and talk about HIV and practicing safe sex. That's one of the things that he's talking about. But um, in, in another way, kind of, I feel like, I don't know, like all the all the things that we're doing to fight HIV criminalization in the laws. You know, for him to do that, I don't know if it's a it's a positive thing, but I guess it's a personal thing.
3: Yeah, well you know, my 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 philosophy on, you know, the whole thing is that it takes two. And uh somewhere along the lines, you know, both of both parties need to take accountability for their own actions. And uh, yeah, pin to pin everything directly on the um HIV positive uh individual I think is uh unfortunate. It is I agree. um uh, uh, sad, and to prosecute someone and for them to go to jail is is ridiculous because you know it's not always uh, it's not always one one person's fault. You know, let, let's right. use my story. You know, and I'm going to use my story for example. I didn't know I was infected, and I infected my partner at the time. I didn't know. And that could be me sitting there for five years in jail. Um, But how do I know, you know, where does it stop? Where does all of this stop? Where does the, you know,
4: it,
3: it, it just, it sickens me is what it does. It just absolutely sickens me.
2: See, now, see, as somebody who's positive, I am torn between HIV criminalization laws. I don't think there should be laws specifically against people living with HIV, but I could see as if, if there was a possibility for me to find out, okay, I cannot find out who infected me. I have some assumptions, but I don't know for sure. So if I had an opportunity to, I want to say, like, kind of punish or get back at somebody who may have infected me without telling me because, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of torn. I feel like there should be some sort of repercussion for those people who are going around and not disclosing. I mean, I know it's hard to do, but then use a condom, I guess. I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm kind of torn between it. I, I see what, why people may be a fan of it and may think that there should be laws for for, you know, for infecting other people. But that's doing it purposely, I think. There should be laws for that, and that's something you have to prove, and that's very hard to prove that, you know what I mean, you're purposely so, doing this. And you're not
3: that the whole the whole thing is, is, you know, your word against mine.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: let me tell you, any, jur- you know, jurors are going to sit there and listen, especially if they're in an uneducated state. And I don't know where Honey Boo Boo is still. I, I'm sure it's in some southern state.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, um, that... That, that their legislature is is like, you know, 100 years behind the times and not educated about HIV, not educated about sex in general. Um, but you, you get these people... Uh, yes, Ken, I am stereotyping <laughs> because stereotypes are made on, spells on truth. Um, but you, you look at them and to legislate that kind of thing, you know, to legislate it and, and put it into law, it not only... Hinders and drives people to not being tested. Mm-hmm. It, it also um, it also drives people to not disclosing because you know if I disclose am I going to lose the love of my life? If I don't disclose, uh, you know what's going to happen? You know, and then then you know should you disclose when you're using a condom every time? You know, um, did the person know that they were HIV positive? And how can you prove? That so so when you get into a court of law, you know you can sit there and go, I was such the victim, I didn't know what was going on, you know, and and cry me a freaking river, would you? You know, it, it's it's just people need to start taking accountability for their own damn actions and stop putting them on someone else, and it's this. Criminalization of, of non-disclosure, or, or you know, criminalizing, uh, uh, criminalizing, uh, what am I trying to say? But, but criminal, criminalizing, and and making people um, the, what am I trying to say here? Pro, uh, prosecuting somebody for having a disease or a virus. That's you, you know it, 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 we're talking about Salem witch trials,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right? But like, come
2: on,
0: mm-hmm. I'm Is just saying I can I can
2: I can I can understand why some people would want to possibly, you know, do you know have some sort of like karma on the person who infected them or want to get back at them somehow or or kind of get that revenge because of. You know, they maybe it depends on the situation. I can understand in some situations why okay. people would want to do that. It, but if, at the end of the day, if you are
3: knowingly but if you are knowingly inspecting people mm-hmm. it's a very different story. Then, you know, two people are together and, and all of a sudden, um, someone comes up positive and and then you you turn around and you sue that person and you throw criminal charges on them. You've ruined that person's life.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So where's the accountability of Did you ask When their last uh, Their last um, Test was Did you ask what their status is Don't Do not expect The other person you're having sex with To be forthcoming With uh, With with the information Because you know it, 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 it's 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 got to be Two people It's got to be It's got to be both people Because sex requires At least Two or more people To to, to have You know To engage Right And you know It's it, But I feel on and on and on About this But because I, You know I, We're too busy You know Putting our sexual health Into somebody else's hands And less, and, and not our own So that's That's all I'm saying Anyway The, the, so I, the, the best, best way to, way to say can, Wait yeah, I just okay. want to
2: say the best way to stay negative is just to assume that everybody is positive that you're sleeping with. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the best way to do it. But go ahead, you want to go ahead and bring our guest on, Josh?
3: <laughs> sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cough. an interview here. So I, I think we have our guest uh, waiting for us. Yeah. Yes. Mister Mister Josh Krueger. So should we bring him on the line, or should we just yes, let him going. hang up there? Hang up there. He's on
4: the air, now. Uh, he's on yeah, the air well, now. Oh well, yeah, hey, Josh, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I was actually just listening to your uh, it, You guys are having a really, really timely discussion right now um, Because I, it's really funny I just have been wrapping up a review of Here Comes Honey Boo Boo um, And uh, and I actually did read about um, Uncle Poodle Which, by the way, I have to say I think calling all gay men poodles Is probably the best innovation of the 21st century um,
4: But Uncle uh,
1: Poodle when i when i i I woke up Saturday morning and I saw that story and um where he actually um then alleges that this guy um that he's talking about uh who again supposedly infected him and everything like that um <clears throat> is now spending five years at a Georgia state correctional facility and um <clears throat> you know i i mean it, it was it was shocking to me because it, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done against these criminalization efforts. Um, because the issues that you're talking about right now are they're incredibly apt. Because I mean, where is the mens rea? Where is this guilty mind um, that really is the requirement of the law to um, uh, convict somebody of certain crimes? I mean, the statistics on HIV infection rates, right? It, like they go down depending on your sexual behavior. You know, there's been not been one single case proven of oral sex transmission, right?
4: Um, that's
1: thought, right. You know, uh, so, but then, of course, anal sex, if you're the receptive or the insertive partner, what, top, bottom, whatever, you know, then all of a sudden the risks start increasing. So where is the actual risk threshold that establishes, oh, I acted so recklessly that by the act alone I'm guilty of this? You know, like... To me, I, I, I just – I get really, really, really nervous about these criminalization efforts, and I think that – I don't know. I There's a lot of feelings that go through somebody's mind when you get that result. Um, there's a lot of feelings of, well, I, I deserve this. Um, I acted in a certain way. And then there's also maybe some feelings of who the hell was it. And those are feelings that are really really important to in my opinion, just resist because at the end of the day, whoever it was um whether they acted recklessly maliciously, you know, I participated in that act so you know, so would you be
3: a a a an accomplice to that reckless behavior
1: uh I actually, you know, I have, I have a very interesting view. I, I mean, I guess some might call it reckless or progressive or, or what. Um, personally, I view issues of disclosure as really—it's kind of an, individ, it's not an individual basis. You know, my health. When I talk with my doctor and I sit down and I and I and I kind of look at the issues that are facing me, I don't act with the idea that I'm going to save the world and that I have to act accordingly out of public health interests. I act out of the interest of Josh Kruger Because for the past thirty years we've lived in a nation that in the nineteen eighties they created the problem. They actually the government, through its just sheer neglect, through its bias and bigotry, they did nothing. And it was up to those of us in the community to take care of ourselves. And I think that this is the healthy view to take of things. And we should really kind of use it on the micro level because at the end of the day, who was in the room when each one of us was told? It was us and our health professional or a testing unit or whatever, but it was just us. And so at the end of the day, I have to look out for my own interests and i have to take ownership of my health and i have to take ownership of my actions to protect myself now would i willingly go around and you know stick people with hiv infected needles oh my god of course not but to equate having bareback sex for instance with somebody that you get on one of the numerous websites right or in a bathhouse with me walking up to an old lady and poking her with a needle that I know has been used by somebody H I V positive, to equate those two acts, I think takes out of the calculation the participant's responsibility. Because ding
3: ding ding, you know, like I, I, I wish I had a bell right now because you're hitting the point right on.
1: Yeah, I, I mean because the thing is, if if I'm walking down the street and I forcibly rape somebody. Oh my god. I should be charged with reckless endangerment. I should be charged, you know, with uh, I mean shit. I mean they they should be able to actually throw my ass in jail for assault with a deadly weapon. But if I actually engage in an act that statistically may or may not infect somebody, that actually because of the fact that I'm on antiretroviral therapy, I have almost I have no scientific risk to anybody. None. And, I mean, it's really important that I think that we have a frank discussion about this with people because, like, sure, there are blips. Sure, people don't adhere to medications. Sure, this, this, and this can happen. But from a scientific standpoint, yeah, a meteor can also come down and hit me right now during during this interview. But is it actually likely? No. Is it likely that because I take Complera every single day and I adhere to my medications – is it likely for me to pass on the virus to anybody? Absolutely not. So where is my responsibility as an individual if I'm in a bathhouse to then tell the man that's about to top me? No, 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 stop. Because uh, even though I'm an antiretroviral therapy and you have no actual scientific or statistical probability of contracting the virus from me, please just understand that you're taking a risk by, by entering me. I mean, that's nonsense because it it takes away that man's culpability entirely in his own behavior, but that's exactly what they want they 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 want to
3: demonize they want to put the entire onus on the positive
1: partner on on that one person that's exactly right and it's the same story that we've been told for thirty some years now that yep. some that somehow we deserve this, that we are bad people. That regardless of the fact that you can contract this virus as a medical professional, that you can contract this as a child of an HIV-positive mother, that you can contract this through crime, that you can contract this uh, just by pure happenstance, I mean, the actual unfairness of this virus, I think, is the great equalizer to it. Because the fact of the matter is, I have the same exact virus that millions on this planet do. And most of those people did not act recklessly, they were not high in a bathhouse. They were they were not just sharing needles with people. They were just being human.
3: God, come on! Where's the fun in all of that? Right. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, you know, let's it, it, bring it back. Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, but it, it's very important that that people can, can kind of get that. You know, like I am as somebody living with HIV. I am not willing to be the shrinking violet and to say, oh, yes, sir, I'm so sorry. You know, I have seen the light. I'm going to wear a condom every single time I have sex from now until the end of time. And I'm going to be such a good boy. And I'm not going to say that I think that, like, barebacking is hot, which I, I'm sorry I think it is. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I well, me there too. Are, right. You know, there are you – know, it is nonsense to, to walk around and say that, oh, yeah, I walked around with my CDC fact sheet on exactly how to have safer sex practices. Give me a fucking break. Well,
3: and, and come on, and it's, you know what, you get two guys or more. I'm on to this more. More time, would be even better, thinking. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You get a whole group of guys. But you don't even have to be high. Let, let's talk about alcohol use. Mm. Guys are going to go, they're going to get drunk. They're not going to make... And it, this it, guy—not even just guys, girls too, men and women. Let's mm-hmm. puns, let's, let's bring heterosexuals into this. Mm-hmm. I guarantee Do we that have heterosexuals, to? absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, because heterosexuals have more probably—they're they, probably having more unprotected sex than we are.
1: Oh They're layer yeah. you know. Just like, look at where Mar- all these
3: babies Christ come sake. from. Yeah, right. You know, so they go to bars or they go to parties. They're drinking. They get drunk. They're not going to make, you know, logical informed decisions. It'll, so, so we go home. We're three sheets to the wind. I look at you, Josh, and I go, "Wait, wait a minute. Wait, I say, I say there's a carnival there. Can you just throw that on <laughs> before you, could, yeah, before you go
1: up?" <laughs> I think we've all had that experience. Uh,
0: you know?
1: It, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, exactly. It's funny because like like I've been sober now for 2 years. And um I I always I always kind of say that it was it was kind of God's big ironic twist in life that um that I I came up positive after my sobriety. After I'd found my sobriety. And that I actually came up positive after years of behaving in a reckless fashion, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, w- I I would get just totally falling down drunk. I was a nasty son of a bitch. I was not a good person on booze. That's why I stopped, you know. But uh, you know, I, w- I was not—I I was not behaving in any way, shape, or form that could be construed as responsible. And I—and I, God knows the the men that I've had sex with. Sorry to half of Philadelphia for all I know, you know. I, <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> like, 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 and and throughout this entire period of just just wanton drunkenness and sex and everything like that, I. I never contracted HIV. And then I sober up, I start living uprightly, you know, I you know, I, I, I feel better as a human being. I actually start realizing that I'm not a horrible human being. And I, and I mm-hmm. then I started hearing to safer sex practices. And oh my god, that's when I become positive.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and
1: and that was that 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 to me, that experience, that that, that singular, <laughs> you know, uh the the dissonance that was involved in that. The fact that, you know, okay, I behave like a like a total scoundrel, you know, cheating on boyfriends, you know, you know blaming other people, resenting other people, drinking just my face off, you know, it, it, that was fine because I, you know, I, I dodged the bullet the entire time in my early and mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And then only when I then kind of get into my groove as a man and I kind of start taking responsibility and I start actually honing up to things and I start becoming, you know, I'd like to think a better person – then that's when it happens, and that made me start scratching my head, because I said, well, what the hell? There's obviously some bizarre cosmic lesson here that I'm not getting, and the cosmic lesson is that there is no real culpability, that, that it was by pure chance that I did not contract the virus when I was acting recklessly, and it is by pure chance that I did when I was behaving responsibly. And by by that token, that means that we're all the same and that mm-hmm. none of us should feel that we deserved HIV and none of us should feel like criminals for wanting a sex life and none of us should feel dirty or that somehow we, you know, invited this upon ourselves. No, 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 hey, Josh. Not, not at all. Gosh. Yeah. I can yeah. make you feel dirty. I would really like that. It has been. <laughs> okay. It's been before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it. and that is oh, a yeah. dry spell for me because you know i gotta say you know as crazy as this sounds, and i would never oh, ever man. ever endorse anybody trying to contract hiv i think those people are nuts i you know I, any i would never wish this on anybody it is, the, it is it is definitely not something that i would ever say that people should try to get but I, right. the, the sex i had after i became positive with another positive man was incredible and and i think it was because it was that 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 fear as a gay man was taken away right mm-hmm. because you know you always have anxiety because you you like i grew up in the age of I, I remember uh and the band played on um seeing that in middle school
5: and yeah. uh and middle- being just baby oh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, well, <laughs> I'm uh stroke my ego more, please um, <laughs> but, but, like, like seeing in the band played on, so you're terrified of HIV and AIDS And so, every sexual encounter, I remember the first sexual encounter I had it, 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 All it was, it involved marginal and lackluster oral sex um, You know, as it, it does with every teenager um, And I was scared to death that I had AIDS you know, mm-hmm. And so, like, for years as a gay man, you just kind of walk around thinking, I'm going to get AIDS, I'm going to die of AIDS, you know, because of this hysteria that was built up because of the horrific nature of the early days and the horrific nature before antiretroviral therapy. You know, and even then, when we were just doing the, or the early research and, uh, and people started, like, some of those, those horrible early on symptoms before we knew what we were doing medically, you know, the lipodystrophy you know, the fact that we actually have a side effect called buffalo hump, I mean, Jesus Christ, we really messed with a lot of people. <laughs> you
4: know?
1: <laughs> it, it, like, it, truly, like, we gave some people some heavy-duty medications not knowing what the hell we were doing. Why, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, God bless Magic Johnson for sitting on that pile of money that he was able to survive. You know, but I when I see when I see these men that are that are sixty years old and they've been positive for twenty eight years or something like that, I literally just scratch my head and I say, "How?" Because you know, but for the fact that you know, like, I but for the fact of Gilead Pharmaceuticals, I would be I would be dying right now. You know, and a good number of us would be.
3: Oh, true. Sure. I wouldn't even be here right now.
4: Right. <laughs> yeah. I
3: mean. I mean. Seriously. I mean. Come on. I mean, I've been positive for so long. I, I, you know, I,
1: I, God, I've been positive probably longer than you've been alive. But
4: it's
5: okay, close to it. Notice I
1: I didn't correct you. I, I just, uh, I'm just kind of taking the. uh, I want everybody to think that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just barely 18. (laughs) I I have no recollection of the Reagan presidency whatsoever. That fuck. That's That's funny. funny. It's funny. So, Josh, it's, it's funny because when
2: you talk about your story, it, it, it kind of mm-hmm. is parallel to mine because I I was diagnosed like nine, you not know, about seven, eight months after I got clean
4: mm-hmm. um,
2: off of drugs and shit like that. And it's just it's kind of ironic that you know when I was act acting like you know a crazy, not going out and having sex in bathhouses and and drugs and meeting people at bars and going home with them and one-night stands and stuff like that. I didn't, you know, I wasn't infected at all, but it wasn't until after I started actually cleaning my life up that, you know, it kind of hit. And then I guess for me, the reality of it all sunk in. And since I had a clear head and I wasn't, you know, Mm. using meth or going to the bars every night, I was able to actually process it better. And it allowed me to put my whole life into perspective and, like, what was important and what wasn't important anymore because all that had changed. I was selfish before
1: definitely I, I i will say that that i mean it, it was kind of a, a like a quiet pat on my my back when i when i got my diagnosis i had no desire to actually drink um which would have just compounded any any issues going on in my life you know yeah. and and trust me i'm i'm not here preaching the 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 sobriety gospel here you know i i'm a libertarian <laughs> and, you know so libertarian on on certain issues at least um you know like but what you know for me at least i can't handle alcohol you know and uh and and mm-hmm. so the fact that when i got my diagnosis um <laughs> i didn't want to drink i actually just kind of threw myself into my work um i was uh i actually had to do a presentation in washington the next day um when i got my diagnosis and um so i overslept and um not because of a hangover but just because of just sheer exha- exhaustion the emotional toll that it took, and um i I remember uh what had happened with me was uh, you know uh, about you know a good amount of sobriety under my belt, everything hit my groove, and um, I actually started getting very, very emotional at work, and I'm not one to be uh sensitive, I'm not exactly a uh, you know uh, a cuddly person <laughs> as hard as that is to believe i think um and uh. I started crying in the bathroom at work sometimes. And um, I, I started taking things very, very personally. And, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. And so my doctor, um, he ran a, ran some blood panels and everything, and he saw something that I didn't notice, and which was my testosterone was plummeting. Um, and uh, he said, well, uh, Josh, you know, I, I would really like to just run an HIV test. And I said, well, you know, Mark, that, that's totally unnecessary. You know, I get tested every three months. I was just tested and I said, hey, you know, there's if you if you really must do that go ahead. You know. I had every confidence that it was going to come back because again, you know, just like you I I was sober. I knew what I, you know, I I didn't have any blackouts where I didn't know, you know, what how you got, got home. On top of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know. Um you know, every now and then when I'm walking down 12th Street in Philadelphia and somebody looks at me, I just kind of wonder, was he one of them? <laughs> right? <laughs> um but uh you know and and so he, he he ran the hiv test and it would always come back within 2 days and he would always just call me at the end of the day and he's like oh yeah josh you're fine you know then when i didn't get that call i just said well that's odd maybe he's just busy and then the next morning when i was getting my morning newspaper and before the office even opened his physician's assistant calls me and says we need you to come in Mm-mm. I just stopped. That's when you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know exactly yeah. why you're being called in. And I demanded on the phone, this poor girl, you know, God bless her. I demanded to know why she was calling me in, because I wanted to hear her say it.
0: Right. right.
1: Because you know, I I just needed to know immediately. Then you know, I'm a, I'm a very very goal like problem oriented person. You know, you have a problem, get from point A to point B. Let's let's work this through. So I was on the phone with her, and I said, "Rebecca, tell me, tell me why the hell you want me to come into the office." And she's like, "Josh, you know why we want you to come to the office." And I couldn't argue with that. Right. So I um, found the only person that I could that was that was free that day to come in with me because I always heard that you're supposed to bring somebody in with the office with you. It was totally useless. I, I recommend people do it on their own. Really, if they're not going, if if you're really not suicidal, just just do it on your own because right. <clears throat> it's just easier. You don't have to answer the the myriad of the kind of idiotic questions that come along with it. The, people really should pay more attention in health class. They really should. But um, <laughs> so you know, I, I get called in the office, and um, immediately they sees me, and the physician's assistant sees me, and she gives me that look that I absolutely cannot stand, which is the "oh, you poor thing" look, and it, it's this look of, of somebody that's genuinely compassionate, you know. That, that's genuinely like thinking that they can understand, They they feel what you're going through, and they have no concept of it, because you have no concept of it until it happens. Because mm-hmm. even though I knew I was HIV-positive, I knew I was being called in for that, you, know, you still don't know until the doctor tells you. And I remember he sat down with me, he closed the door, and he and I are very good friends. We have a very good relationship. And um, he just sat down, and he's like, well... It's happened again to one of my patients, and I looked at him, and he has, he has a large LGBT um, uh, population of um, clients. And uh, where do you go? I, uh, I go to uh, Mark Watkins um, at Triangle okay. Medical in Philadelphia. Mark Mark is a fantastic physician. Um, he's been dealing with HIV/AIDS for ever since it came around, um, and uh, you know I, I trust him so much. Um mm-hmm. I've also I've also actually had physicians at the Lack Center um here in Philadelphia yeah, they are fantastic. Um Laura Bamford, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. She does incredibly uh I mean she puts up with me because <clears throat> I I really demand answers from my doctors, which I think everybody should. Yeah. You know? Um I she she was the one who actually prompted me to go on medication and we had an argument about it. Because again, I, I look at I look out for Josh Kruger's health. I don't look out for the public's health, because you know the, the government and the and and the uh, the ASOs and everybody else, you know, I, they're looking out for their mission, and that's great. And they a lot of them have noble missions. But at the end of the day, I'm the only one there. You know, I'm the one going through this. Not everybody else. Yeah. Me. And so like, and again, when I was in that office, and Mark calls me in, in that office, did I have the AIDS fund behind me? Did I have the government? Did I no, it was me. And he looks at me and he tells me that I'm H HIV positive, that I came back reactive. And the first words out of my mouth were, What's the prognosis? Mm-hmm. And and because I, I just wanted to know. And um he says, Well, uh, about seventy. I said, Really? And he says, Yeah and I said, Oh, great. You know? And and, and so the moment that it happens, though, and this is something that's really intangible, is that I I tell people that it, it is the absolute worst moment in your life. Every shame is, and, I, and I'm speaking as a gay man, because I, mm-hmm. I mean I don't know what it's like to be, a, you know, a straight woman and to be infected. I don't know. I I just know as as a gay man that you know every moment of shame you've ever experienced about your sexuality, every feeling that that what you're doing is wrong, that yeah, you were slutty or yeah, you know, you're acting recklessly. Every of the every one of those self-loathing feelings, it just bang hits you. And you feel horrible. And it's the worst moment I've ever experienced in my life. And the great part about it though is that then it's over. And then it's done. It's like the Big Bang. Like, the entire matter of the universe was conveyed into one single point that exploded. And in me, every, every like, little iota that I had in my mind being that was just filled of self-loathing, of negativity, of discomfort Hi, with my very well. What's that? Are you there? Mm-hmm. i going to Josh. Oh, okay. No, I, I was saying that, that every every single... Feeling negative feeling I ever had about my sexuality or anything like that. It was just it just exploded out at that one moment, and it was over. And then I could just live. And it's it was it was really a remarkable experience, and I I I didn't know it at the time because I went back to my office, and I had a really beautiful view actually of the of uh in in Philadelphia you you have the Benjamin Franklin Parkway. And uh, my office was on the 8th floor facing westward, and um, I could look out and see the art museum. And I remember looking out, and it um, it was about dusk, and I remember just crying, just very quietly crying, because it was this sense of both hopelessness, relief, very bizarre, just this whole amalgamation of just a billion different feelings at once. And, you know, I didn't know what to do. And so the next day I got up and I went to Washington. I gave my presentation. I I acted like nothing was the matter. And um, then I took a day off. And um, it, it was still a difficult process. And I tried for several months. You know, I really tried to fake it. I tried being a normal human being. I I tried to to just act like nothing was going on, and then um, I just couldn't fake it anymore. And that feeling where all those negative emotions were finally just kind of exploded out of me, they also then kind of left a residual kind of uh, hangover feeling of well, now what are you going to do? And and I, I didn't know. And I had, I basically, and I think everybody has two choices in front of them when they're diagnosed. And it's either live or die. And that sounds like melodramatic or hysterical, but it's true. You know, you, you can either act in a way that will extend your life, and you can affirm how wonderful life is because oh my god, it's fucking fantastic. Or you can die. And I resolved to live. And and I quit my job. And I, and I started writing, and I started and I started cobbling together a living, doing all sorts of things. And I made mistakes left and right. You know, I I uh, I lost my house on account of stupidity on my part. You know, thinking that I, I knew what I was doing when it came to running a business and everything. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. You know, I made so many mistakes, uh, but I was finally doing what I wanted to do, which was just live, and. It, each kind of pushed me over the edge to the point where I just said, "Well, fuck it, you know I, if, and, and to and I was kind of melodramatic because I said, "Well, I don't know how long I have to live, well, that's bullshit, you know I'm, my life expectancy is about seventy years old because I'm in insurance viral therapy, <clears throat> so I'm going to be around for some time, unfortunately, for some,
4: <laughs>
1: and so you know but but truly, like I, I made the decision like no, I, I'm going to live." And every day, I'm not going to sit in a cubicle and hate the fact that I just count down the hours until five o'clock. I'm not going to do it, you know. And and it led to some some horrible experiences, like the loss of my house, you know, being homeless. It, it, it was horrible, but it also led to some really interesting, really cool things. Like I met so many interesting people, and it was all because I was just receptive to the point that it was time to just live.
2: And as right. crazy
1: as it sounds, HIV gave me that.
2: No, I totally agree. Um, We're actually going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to go to the phone lines because we have people waiting to uh, come on air and speak to us. So if you want to give the show a call, you guys can reach us at 347-215-9442. Press the one button so we know that you are actually calling to uh, speak live on air, and we'll be back in 30 seconds.
5: (laughs) I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smelled good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all I found self love and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS, but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body. I was my biggest hater. I am author the naked truth, Marvlin Brown, and I am greater than AIDS.
2: Yes, she is. And we are back live. Robert and Jeremy here. And our fabulous guest, Josh, are you with us? Yes. All right. Um, I want to go to the lines here. We have area code 201. They've been holding the longest. Uh, you're on the air. Who's this?
5: Hi, this is Jay from Jersey City. How are you doing?
2: Good. How are you doing, Jason?
5: Doing uh, okay, doing very well. Um, I have a couple things just to to thank Josh for before I ask him a question, first thing I have to thank you for, Josh, is thank you for describing life as fan-fucking-tastic. I couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> Secondly, um, I, I really have to thank you for being so open and very realistic in your opinion about disclosure and and, and its relation to bad backing, especially as a gay man. And I've, I've been doing HIV testing counseling over a year now, and I think it's important that people realize that and not mistake your openness for for bitterness, because that CDC right. fact sheet you were talking about is now TAP, Treatment as Prevention. So anybody listening out there and getting a little worried, this is what the CDC is moving towards, as we all know. It's treatment, just like you were saying. I mean, if, if we're compliant and adherent to our medications, you know, the chances of us spreading this virus are almost slim to none. So thank exactly. you for that. Now, just to get into the specifics of it, my question for you is, do you feel that... In a setting like you were describing, like in a bathhouse, do you think um, disclosure is necessary?
1: No, I don't. Um, and, and I mean that—that—that that, that kind of goes counter to a lot of um, ingrained feelings that we have um, as people in the HIV-positive community. But I think by virtue of actually entering a bathhouse, um, and by virtue of all of us having attended schools in the United States, most of us, um, and having all had to have attended health class and having all been bombarded by popular messages about HIV, about AIDS prevention, about you know the ASOS and the and the, um, and, and the um, LGBT organizations do
3: fantastic
1: work reaching out in the urban environments nowadays. There's, there's a fantastic amount of work done to just educate people and if you are able to google the directions to a bathhouse you are able to then also look at what HIV is you're also able to look at how to protect yourself, and if you're if you, you know, go into an environment where most people are having sex without a condom, or you know, you go into an environment where a good amount of people are HIV positive but on antiretroviral therapy, you know, like no, there, I I don't view that disclosure as necessary. Uh, you know, I I feel I feel bad for people who who walk around life thinking that oh, well, everybody's HIV negative unless they tell me otherwise. You know, I'm very sorry that people have this, 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 this notion in their head, but, I mean, we can't police everybody. We can't protect everybody. We can't educate everybody. We have done everything in our power to tell people about this, everything, billions of tax dollars spent, billions of man-hours spent. There's there's no more work that needs to be done. I mean, the work needs to continue, but I mean on the on the micro level, like, do I need to tell somebody if I'm in a group sex setting? Excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I am. I do have an undetectable viral load, but you should be under, understanding of the fact that no, no. No disclosure. I don't view disclosure any more necessary than the fact that I I, I should then tell everybody. Well, uh, just so you know, um, uh, that there was a there was a bed bug in, infestation in New York City. Have you been to Manhattan recently? <laughs> you know, no, I don't. No, yeah, that that's actually
2: good points you're making there, uh, Josh. So, Justin, thanks for calling in. We're going to go to the next caller. Area code five one eight. You're on the air. Who's this? Hello. You're on the air. Okay, and they hang and up. Gone.
0: So, <laughs> area code six zero nine. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, Josh Scar. Hi. Um. Hey, Rob. So, I really appreciate, uh, Josh. What you have to say about? Well, first of all, that culmination of all the negative things that we that we hear. You know, that we get ingrained in us as, as gay men. And, you know, when you get that pod diagnosis, it's just like the culmination of everything. It's like kind of like saying that all these people are right or something. But I love I loved the fact that you're able to turn that around and take a sense of freedom out of it. That's the part that really struck me. Oh,
1: thank you. It's the trick, yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's the trick to everything is is figuring out that you know, well, you have a choice before you, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's, for the, that for guy, I had those feelings of wanting to die, absolutely.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, now I'm starting to, I'm getting to the point where I, well, that's one, one or that's just one thing in my life and. My life is by no means over, and, you know, with so many people around to support me. Right.
1: Well, and, yeah. and there's there's so many mechanisms. And, and I mean, we we are so, there's no better time to be alive with HIV than right now. I mean, we can faithfully say that, that at this moment in time, this is the best time in human history to either be HIV positive or be newly diagnosed because you are going to be lived to be an old fuck.
4: <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you are going to
1: live to be that guy that when we were sixteen, we would say, "Oh, will that old troll stop lingering at me?" You know, yeah, you know, we're going to be those old trolls. You know? <laughs> right. you know, I'm a troll already at 28. For Christ's sake, you know, uh, you, you know we're gonna we're gonna live live very long, and and there's no reason that we shouldn't. There are so many programs out there in Pennsylvania. We have the SPBP. You know, in, in there there are progressive states out there. Uh, that provide HIV antiretroviral therapy gratis for free, you know. Absolutely. And there's no reason that that we shouldn't live, you know. And it's all just up to us whether we make that decision. And and, and, and you're absolutely right, absolutely. You know, you, you there's a whole life ahead of anybody that, that's newly diagnosed, and and, and yeah. it's just so liberating. Uh, absolutely, I, I agree. I wanted to thank the caller for uh, calling in.
4: Uh, with that
2: uh comment
1: uh one of the things I did want to uh talk to you about Josh is how did you tell your family uh, um I immediately called my mother. I texted her actually um and uh, I, I I just I come from a very, very liberal, open-minded family. Um, my father's a socialist, for Christ's sake. I mean, so it was like when I came out, I was 15. Um, I've never even kissed a girl, even though I grew up in a very small town. You know, like so I, I already had very progressive parents. I was very, very lucky. So the minute that I was diagnosed with HIV, it immediately popped into my head to contact my mother, and I texted her, and. She she knew what 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 it was i i don't remember exactly what i texted but it was something beating around the bush and um so then we we talked on the phone and she cried and it was actually probably one of the worst things that a mother could say which is just that her heart was breaking for me and mm. and she was crying on the phone and um i you know during that whole scenario you know like I'm, I'm glad I didn't do it in person, almost, because right. it would have, it would have been even doubly difficult, and uh, you know I would have been kicking the dirt, not making eye contact, you know, it would have it been, it would have been more, like mortifying. Um, but I, like, as I was on the phone talking to her, and she says that to me, and she's crying, I, I didn't hear my father, but I could just imagine him just stoically standing there, and, um, and, and just kind of listening and knowing what the conversation was. And knowing that he was there for my mother was was very, very helpful to me. But, you know, I I told him that, and I get a lot of my kind of uh, pro- problem-solving just from my, my parents. And after my mother cried and she said that her heart was breaking for me and everything like that, she said, well, now what's your plan? And I had to basically defend my thesis to my mother on exactly what I planned to do to ensure that I was going to be around for some time. And, um, you know, once she was satisfied with that, then, you know, I told her about, you know, uh, getting tested, getting my levels checked every three months, everything like that, the fact that, you know, I I had sterling, sterling medical care, um, that I was going to be fine, um, and that, oh, I was holding up fine, even though I was devastated at the time, you know, um, know, I told her, I assured her I was fine. Um, So, I mean, but I was very lucky, um, I, I don't perceive many of us having that luck. And I, I, I just feel nothing but empathy for people who, who don't have supportive families. Because then, you know, it was uh, during family get-togethers and things, and even even to this day, you know, I mean, once I, once I started getting published on, on, on having HIV and coming on, you know, radio shows talking about having sex and, and that sort of thing, the cat was kind of out of the bag, and so it, it wasn't ever just said, well, does is it okay if this person knows but in the early days you know that's what it was like my my mother would say well it's not going to come up a conversation and i said well it should you know and I, right. I, I i you just tell people please just tell people for me and it was it was it was the second coming out because the exact same strategies that i used when i was 15 16 17 18 19 on just could we please just disseminate to everybody that i'm gay the same strategies were employed could we just please tell, tell everybody i have hiv you know, because it was, it was just, you know, it's so much easier because, I mean, what am I going to do? Go to go to Christmas dinner and say, by the way, everybody, just so you know, I have the Hiv. You know, <laughs> you have a house in Virginia? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you know it, it, it's, just, it's just like, one, it, it, it's incredibly egocentric. You know, to, for me to take the spotlight, just just to at any family gathering, just to be like, oh yeah, by the way, you know that big gay plague that Jerry Falwell blamed, you know, on us and everything. You know, it's God's divine judgment. I have it. Like I, 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 no, it, it, it. so I, I just basically said, please just dispatch to everybody. If if I really kind of wish it was 1916, I could just send wires out to everybody, um, just telegram, maybe a singing telegram, <laughs> something like that. Um, but it was a. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I can't imagine being a parent, and you know, especially my parents were born in the '50s. So when I when I think about their experience as adults and their exposure to HIV and AIDS, they saw the really awful days. Like I, I, I was around for the really awful days, but I, I have no real sentient memory about it. I mean, I was I was four, five, six, seven, you know. I, so, you know, I was. Like I, I was, I didn't see a whole generation of good men die. I did not see that. I just heard about it, but they did. My parents saw that. They know a guy who knows a guy who died.
4: They know somebody mm. the whose
1: brother was gay who died. You know, and so in their minds, that's all it was. Still, so then there was like there was a lot of education to do on my part. You know, uh, that I had to tell them about. Like everything that's going on, and and like the conversations I had with my parents over the holidays were
4: fantastic,
1: because like I and I, I post my father's quotes on my Facebook page oftentimes because he he's just a treasure trove of, of you know border borderline like uh, uh, the senior citizen um, craziness coupled with this this unbounding compassion because like I, I told him recently I said well the the actual aim nowadays is to eradicate AIDS completely. And my father looks at me, and he says, oh, that's good. <laughs> I said, yes, yes,
3: yes, Dad, yes, it is. Yes,
1: Dad, yes, Dad.
3: So, so Josh, we are down to our last two minutes. Mm-hmm. This, this is, like, flown by. Um, I have one
1: last couple of questions for you. Um, first, do you have a website? Um, I don't as of yet. I'm actually um, – uh, going live with uh, a website and a blog next week, um, but uh, I, you know, if every if everyone's just go go to my Facebook page, um, that would be through it. And it's just facebook.com slash Josh That's J O S H K R U G E R, and awesome. it, it's public and everything like that. And my my he, here comes Honey Boo Boo uh, review will be going up shortly. I know everybody's just waiting with bated <laughs> <eight of> breath. <laughs>
3: I am I'm I'm, I'm like, on the needle, and so so the one question that we always ask our guests. Um, at the at the end of every show is uh, if someone comes up to you
1: and they're newly diagnosed and they say, Josh, what advice do you have for me?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: What would you tell them? Um, I would really, uh, I'm not. In, I, I would immediately respond with a kind of Zen type answer where it says, I'm not in a position to give them advice, but I do. I do. I would have a question for them, and all the question would be would be, Do you want to live or do you want to die? And if the answer is you want to die, then any advice that I give you, I cannot help you. Because if somebody has it in their mind that they are hopeless, that they that they deserve this, that they, they, they're they going to die, they don't want to work toward anything, then I can't help them. But if they want to live, oh, God, I can tell them about about things. Oh, God, yeah, if you want to live with this virus, if you make the decision that you actually want to live and you want to grow old – then, yes, there are so many things that you can do. And the first thing that you can do is take ownership of your health. That's awesome. That's awesome.
3: I, I hate to break us off. We're down to the last 30 seconds. No, not at all. Uh, Josh, this was a great time. We'd love to have you come back on soon.
1: Oh, God, I would love it. Any kind of mouthpiece for awesome. me is incredible. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Josh, all right, Josh,
3: well, true. yeah, let's stay in,
2: in touch, Josh, and, and we'll, uh,
4: we'll, yeah. we'll get together or whatever and
2: try to set up another interview. Absolutely, awesome.
1: absolutely. Guys, thanks so much for everything you do. It's incredible.
3: Certainly. Thank
2: you thanks, for coming Josh. on. Have, have a great
1: night. You. you too. Great.
3: Bye-bye. Hey, I have one quick announcement before we go off. Uh, next week, January 17th, uh, Daniel Bauer and I are going to be at the Ritz Bar and Lounge. Daniel is hosting the Porno Bingo, and we're going to do a couple of pieces of magic over there for uh, in benefit of the Iris House, uh, which is an HIV home. So there, I did it. That's awesome. And that's from, cool,
0: that's cool, from cool.
3: 7, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., Ritz lounge, and bar.
2: Yes, and I also again want to thank our guest Josh Kruger. He was friggin'
3: awesome. Um and it's so awesome that he lives close to me. So um I, and, I you know And people think, people think feel... he's dreamy. I have been getting comments right and left from people. So So Josh, yeah. you've got there's there's a lot of guys out here who think you're dreamy. <laughs>
2: so uh for more information on myself and the radio show and upcoming shows and all that good stuff. Um, and to join the POSIM social network, you can go to POSIM.com for more information on the fabulous Jeremy Dunn. You can go to positively and they're all, you know, interlinked together. So if you know the one, you can find the other Jeremy, um, another great show.
3: It was awesome. Keep it up. That's yes, another,
2: hopefully have a great week next week. Um, coming up, I do want to mention who we have coming on the show. So um, on, his name is Alexander. where is that, hold on, come on, I know we're, we're, I'm wasting time over time, but I have to uh, get this out there. Um, Alexander Smith will be coming on. He runs a website called Bless Your Virus, and he's going to come on and share his personal story. If you would like to share your story on the show, contact us at the show, Robert at com or on through our Facebook page, Facebook backslash IM Radio. Have a great night. Jeremy, I'll speak to you next week.
4: Have a great night. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye.